0: Well, we have a different format tonight, and that is that we're going to um, look to the Word of God for just a few minutes, and then we'll spend some time together in prayer. So turn with me to Colossians 4. David just read the wonderful introduction to the book, and so that helps set the stage. As you're finding Colossians 4, I have a question to have you consider We think about Paul, the greatest writer and preacher of the gospel of all time. Paul, the ultra-educated Old Testament scholar who would argue the deity of Christ, the salvation of Christ, Jesus as the Messiah, he could do this from the Old Testament at the drop of a hat. We think about Paul, the persuasive expert in logic and argumentation. When we think about Paul, the one who faced governors and kings and philosophers and presented his stunning arguments for the one true living God and for his son Jesus Christ. When we think about Paul, who has thrilled us with such works as Romans and Ephesians, pillars of the truth of the gospel, dissertations on the goodness of God and salvation, the necessity of salvation, the means of salvation, When we think about Paul, who was a master preacher, a master orator, he could hold audiences for hours and hours, even late into the night. So if anyone could melt the hearts of men through argument and persuasion, if anyone could convert the lost by means of unassailable logic, if anyone could corner the human intellect into seeing the cross of Christ as the only way of salvation, it would be the eminent, the honorable Apostle Paul. Paul. But in fact, Paul says exactly the opposite. He claims no power of his own. Whatever gifts and education and ability he has are nothing more than tools in the hands of God for the kingdom of Christ. And here, what we're going to see in a small section of chapter 4 is that after exhorting the church at Colossae to be in continual prayer, to be watchful in, in thanksgiving, he gives a prayer request for him and for his ministry team. Look with me at Colossians 4, verse 3. We'll read two verses. Colossians 4, verse 3. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. I'm going to read that one more time. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. His specific request here culminates in verse 4, in which he asks that he might be enabled to make the gospel message clear. This is an ironic prayer request from our standpoint, because there was no one living at the time who could make it more clear. And yet Paul acknowledges his total dependence on the Lord in terms of both is opportunity and the results. So tonight, what I'd like to show you are three categories of prayer from this short text that we're then going to live out. We're going to pray. In just a few short months, we'll be moving into our new location at 2301 White Lane. We'll be able to seat approximately double the number we can now. And I'm going to show you these three categories of prayer, which we're going to pray together tonight, that we might be a church pleasing to our Father and our Savior and that he might choose to use us in the expansion of his kingdom and the teaching of his people into Christ's likeness. So here are the three categories, and they're they're just simple bullet points. Here are the three categories. First, we pray for the men. Second, we pray for the message. And third, we pray for the multiplication. We pray for the men, we pray for the message, and we pray for the multiplication. First prayer category, we pray for the men. Now, we saw this term this morning, but 78 times... In the Bible, the phrase man of God is used as a technical term. It's used of Moses, of David, of Elisha, of Timothy, and many, many others. And every time, this particular phrase speaks of someone called by God specifically to proclaim his word, to proclaim truth. To the men of God called to serve in this way, there's a a compelling drive forward. I think of Paul himself, for example. In 1 Corinthians 9.16, he says, For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. If you ask Paul, why are you preaching the gospel? He says, I I can't do anything else. I must do this. There's There's a compelling nature to it. And like Paul, for the man who's called and duly gifted by the Lord to proclaim the scriptures, nothing else will satisfy. Nothing else will satiate that yearning that God has put there. And it's not just a matter of really enjoying preaching and teaching. In fact, the yearning is there in spite of challenges, in spite of difficulties, in spite of obstacles. Verse three, Paul says that he that for the sake of the word of God, he's in prison, literally in bonds of chains. He's not in chains for the sake of committee meetings. He's not in chains for the sake of a career option. He's not in chains for the sake of keeping the most unhappy church members happy. He's not in chains for filling his time with the endless possibilities that ministry can offer in terms of ways to very quickly fill your calendar with good things. He's in chains for the Word of God, for the proclamation of Christ. And that's the only reason to be in chains. And I don't say this for just myself. But we're to pray for those men who are uniquely called to proclaim the gospel. 1 Timothy 5 distinguishes elders as elders who rule and elders who rule and labor in preaching and teaching. That there's an added level of responsibility, an added burden to shepherd with the word of God. From the very beginning of the church, God has furthered and advanced the kingdom agenda by raising up men in every generation to proclaim his word from the pulpit That's been his chosen method. It has never changed. We have men here in our church that we would classify as men of God, uniquely called by God to lead the charge in the proclamation of the gospel and in the general leadership of the church. And so when we pray together in a few minutes, here's how to pray for them. First of all, pray for their protection. Pray for their protection. You take down a leader's marriage and you can take down a ministry. You take down a reputation, you can take out a soldier of the gospel, one less preacher for Satan to contend with. You create 10,000 distractions and the waters get muddy and the man of God loses focus on preaching the word. Give him a level of discouragement that can be reached that's harmful to everyone. There are countless ways that men of God need to be protected, and so we pray for that. It's a spiritual protection that's necessary you can also pray in the category of priority. Category of priority. The more a ministry thrives and grows, the more demands um, can be placed. I, I've read numbers of books on pastoral leadership, quite a few, as a matter of fact. And I've read quite a few that say as a church grows, the preacher ought to be less concerned with preaching and more concerned with leadership and management. It's exactly the opposite. You have to, you have to guard this. The effective man of God makes his own decisions about how to spend his time, not trying to desperately please everyone all the time. It's not possible. And there's a, there's a wonderful balance here that all pastors understand that we want to be loving shepherds of the flock, but there is a time to shut the door of the study and nail it shut and put a giant do not disturb on there. And that needs to be most of the time. The priority is the preached word, and that's what will ultimately save souls and, and sanctify the saints. When I was in seminary, I had a professor who said this all the time, that there's always a thousand good things to do. The man of God is to find a few great things to do. That that's what we do. The Apostle Paul, for example, he said that he longed to see the Romans. He said that in Romans 1. But he didn't drop what he was doing to go see them, because what he was doing was more important. Jesus left whole crowds still clamoring to see him. And generally when he did, it was either to rest, to pray, or to preach. He just left them there, and we wonder, well, why did he do that? He Because he wasn't trying to please man, he was trying to please God. And so pray for their protection, pray for their priority, and pray for their power. You want spiritual men who read, who study, who ponder, who learn. This is much more vital and useful than trying to minister personally to every single need. It's, that's not possible anyway. One study showed that one single pastor can really only effectively shepherd between 35 and 50 people. And so, therefore, that work has to be done by the body. Charles Spurgeon spent approximately 90% of his time in study and reading and prayer. Paul, when he was in prison the second time, he asked Timothy to bring him scrolls and books that he wanted to read, he wanted to learn, he wanted to grow. For me, I, I'm very blessed to have attended the Master Seminary, and and I could bring messages that are kind of a reheated, microwaved versions of class notes that I took. And I could do that. I have enough to last for a few years probably to do that. I don't want to do that, though. I want to bring you messages that are the result of having met extensively with God. And having met with Him And his grading of my study to tell me, not good enough, more time, more prayer, more effort, redo it. I've lost track of the number of times that I've reached Friday afternoon, thinking that I might have an easy Saturday. And I read through my notes over and over again, and I know that they're C plus at best. And so we start over, we revamp, we tear it up, we rehash, and we restudy and redo it. I've lost track of those numbers of times because many of you are praying for me and I I sense your prayers and I sense your prayers. And sometimes I wonder if you would pray a little less for me to be that convicted at those moments. But pray for the men of God among us who lead and feed our people. So pray for protection, for priority, for power. And pray for our church, by the way, to produce some of those men in the coming years as well. So pray for the men. Here's a second category of prayer. Pray for the message. Pray for the message. This is the Apostle Paul, the greatest theologian of all time, and he asks for his message to be clear. He asks for prayer. Literally, that it be manifested, that it be revealed, that it be plain, that it be visible. No preacher in 2,000 years ever has the right to say, I think I got this down. If Paul says, I need the message to be clear, no other preacher can say they've got it. He feels the weight of this responsibility. Look what he says at the end of verse 4, that I make it may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. He has no professors looking down on him. He has no uh, uh, fellow ministers looking down on him. This is Paul and God. And Paul is saying before God, I must be clear. I must be overwhelmingly clear with the message He's mindful that he's declaring the mystery of Christ, the gospel message not clearly revealed in the past, but now clearly revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. And I can't imagine the position that Paul is in. He is literally one of the few bridges between Old Testament and New Testament, between Old Covenant and New Covenant. He is one of literally a dozen men on earth explaining this. What a weight of responsibility, and he wants to be crystal clear. This is so important. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 2, beginning in verse 12, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual, that the understanding and discernment of spiritual truth is made possible only by the Holy Spirit, that no... Godly argument, no amazing logic can change the heart of men. Only the Spirit of God can. And so for the message to be clear, the Spirit of God must be active. That's God's responsibility. Man's responsibility is get the message right. Don't taint the gospel with other stuff. Church history is littered with men who started well and finished terribly. In the early 50s, there was an accomplished preacher... And a faithful pastor named John, he pastored in the Southern Baptist Church, faithfully proclaiming the gospel. And then this pastor named John claimed to have been, quote, baptized in the Holy Spirit, unquote, which we have clearly taught here is, is the act at salvation of being brought into the church universal. We understand that. But John came to believe that it was something that happened subsequent to salvation. And from then on, John began teaching and preaching about healing and about living in victory, meaning financial success. The newly minted prosperity gospel, and he was right on the cutting edge of this horrible movement. In fact, he began deriding his own church and and blaming them for not having enough faith, telling them that they're... They're out of the will of God and they're unspiritual for not wholeheartedly embracing his new heretical theology. And eventually he broke off and he began his own church in Houston called Lakewood. And ultimately he passed the church and his heretical theology on to his son, Joel Osteen. So pray for the message. Pray for the clarity of the gospel to be made manifest by the Spirit and kept consistent by faithful men of God that as people walk through our doors and they hear words coming from this very pulpit that their hearts are pierced and the message makes its way all the way to the deepest recesses of their sinful, darkened hearts and clears the way for the light of the gospel. The church is to be the pillar and the foundation of the truth and the way this is lived out practically is from the pulpit. And can I, can I say this? And I don't say this because I happen to be standing here. I say this because of church history. But the pulpit is the most important piece of real estate on planet Earth. It is from this little area right here that truth goes forward into the hearts of men and women and children. And that lives are changed and eternal destinies are changed. So pray for the men. Pray for the message. And finally, pray for the multiplication. Pray for the multiplication. Here's Paul's prayer, that God may open to us a door for the word. And that's the title of my message tonight, Prayer for an Open Door. He prays that God may open to us a door for the word. Now, when Paul writes Colossians, he's under house arrest in Rome. He's chained to a Roman guard. But you may recall from the book of Philippians that many of the palace guard were getting saved because he was saying, you know, you got eight hours stuck here, you're going to listen to me, and they're getting saved and taking this to the the palace guard. And so Paul is having wonderful gospel opportunities, but he wants more. I think it's somewhat of a tongue-in-cheek possibility here that Paul is praying metaphorically for an open door to proclaim the word of God. He probably also wouldn't mind an open door to walk out of prison where he could do more ministry. This idea of multiplication of ministry is what drove the apostles to appoint the seven godly men in Acts 6 so that the apostles might devote themselves to what? To prayer and to the word, to multiply their efforts. Paul himself speaks of multiplying his ministry right near the end of Colossians. Look at verse 16. Just a little seemingly a side note here, but it's an important principle for us. Chapter 4, verse 16. And when this letter has been read among you, have it read also in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. Paul had apparently written a letter to the church of nearby Laodicea as well. It's not a Bible book and it's not one that we're missing. It's not the 67th book of the Bible. it's a letter that he wrote to them. But what does Paul request? Switch letters. And make them both useful to both of you. In other words, multiply my efforts. Don't let this one letter just die in your church. Pass it around. This is the call and the strategy of the man of God to proclaim the scriptures. Any of the leadership in our church who knows me at all, they know that I am passionate about multiplying ministry. That's why I love the fact that we record our sermons, that that they don't just go off into thin air and, and die. That they continue to be useful, that the man of God is to do all in his effort, his power, and to ask God to help him reproduce his efforts. That's the incredible blessing throughout the history of the church, of books for centuries and now audio and video recordings to have the fruit of the study be used over and over again. This is a worthy endeavor. One of my ministry heroes, Charles Spurgeon, turned out to be the most published Christian author in history. But there's a reason for that. For many years, he had a chief transcriptionist, Thomas Allen Reed. Now, what do I mean by chief transcriptionist? Well, there were no recording devices in Spurgeon's day in the 19th century London. And so he had a number of people throughout the church sprinkled throughout this congregation, desperately taking notes when he preached. Because Spurgeon preached from a little card about this big. Because he was a genius and he had been reading for 90% of his week and he had things welling up in him. And so he would, on Saturday night, scribble down a few little points and then preach for an hour. So why did he have to have a chief transcriptionist, Thomas Allen Reed? He took all the notes scribbled down by the members that were sprinkled throughout the congregation and he carefully made notes of Spurgeon's sermons. Now this is, this is kind of a, a cheap shot in a way because Spurgeon just spoke off the top of his head and Thomas Allen Reed made it sound like that he was that eloquent in real life. There's no ums, there's no wait a minute, I lost my place, there's none of that. But it became Reed's ministry in life to multiply ministry Spurgeon was a a, a deep thinker. He was was up in the clouds opposite to that. Reed was quirky and analytical in nature. Today, we would say kind of nerdy. He wrote an entire article about his analysis of Spurgeon's speaking speed. And at what part of his sermons did he speak the fewest number of words and the most words? It's really captivating stuff. But what the Church of Jesus Christ has continued to enjoy for a century and a half is Reed's determination to multiply ministry. Spurgeon preached on average twice per week, and Reed's edited manuscripts of Spurgeon's sermons were published once per week in the Metropolitan Tabernacle Pulpit Collection. The last sermon that Spurgeon preached was on June seventeenth, 1891, sermon number 2208, When Spurgeon died just six months later, there were still 25 years of sermons backlogged to get to. And in fact, they continued to be published until 1917, when World War I finally shut it down because of paper shortages. Compared to the number of frauds, clowns, play actors, people pleasers, and charlatans who pollute the pulpits of the world today, there are relatively few men who simply faithfully proclaim God's word... And the biblical gospel week in and week out. So pray for those men. Pray for the multiplication of their efforts. Pray that their ministries are multiplied. And the impact of their message is felt far beyond the four walls of their own church. One little known fact about Charles Spurgeon is that what he did with the funds that came from selling those sermons. Because he sold them uh, as often as he could. Those funds started 100 different ministries. Everything from feeding children to orphanages to uh, uh, book giveaways. Anything and everything to spread the gospel. And I would ask you to pray for the multiplication of the ministry here. It's one of the reasons we we have our Grace Equip book cart, which is shortly going to be an actual bookstore. Our Steadfast in the Faith website has hundreds and hundreds of our messages, plus dozens of videos that are there and accessible anywhere in the world. We want to expand the ministry as much as the Lord will bless, this includes praying for our publishing efforts. Our, our little tiny Steadfast in the Faith team has now published two books, The uh, Profile of a Godly Wife and The Essential Church. And we're going to be putting out more books in the coming months because these multiply the ministry greatly. For me personally, as a preacher when I preach something that I, I think just desperately needs to be heard, and I know needs to be repeated over and over and over again, I don't feel a restfulness in my soul until there's a book, because then I don't have to ever worry about it again. You can always put that material in somebody's hands. You can also pray for those who live stream our messages currently, due to various circumstances. We, we have a, we have a whole following elsewhere in the world um, for, with people that are in, in dire straits with no church close to them, um, some literally geographically too far away from a biblical church to be able to attend. And so we're blessed to be able to minister to them. Pray for each of you as members to have opportunities to connect people with the gospel, to connect people with the preached word here. And we're trying to put as many tools in your hands as possible that you can simply connect people with the truth of the gospel and the word of God. Pray that as a church, our support and our love for our missionaries would only grow. I, I have a, a hope and a dream. We've not been able to do this yet, but I would love for our church to be able to support at least one missionary at 100%, to be, to be the sole source by which that missionary receives support. Speaking of finances, pray that the Lord gives tremendous financial provision Ministry costs money and translates into the word of God being proclaimed to more people. The old adage is true in the church as well, that you get what you pay for. When the church says, well, we would like a pastor who preaches uh, three times a week, but we're going to pay him $1,000 a month and he can have his own job on the side. What kind of sermons are you going to get? You get what you pay for. But when the church says, we're going to give every nickel we can to develop and to grow up men of God, who will minister the word, that multiplies at an exponential rate. There's still a number of other men I would love to see full-time on staff at Grace Bible Church. And so pray for that. Pray for those positions to be filled in the coming years. And of course, pray for the Steadfast Bible Conference, which will now finally be hosted only in our own facility. I hear amens to that. What a multiplication effort. We have members in our own church that are here now because of, of Steadfast. We have people that we know of who have gotten saved because of Steadfast. And so pray for the men to be faithful. Pray for the message to be clear. And pray for the multiplication of ministry for 2022. And that's a very simple outline of our prayer time here together tonight. And so what we're going to do is take kind of three focused times of prayer for each of these prayer topics... In just a moment, I'm going to ask you to kind of group up into groups in the sanctuary and and um, spread out a little bit if you can so that there's maybe, you know, 8, 10, 12 of you in the group. If there's more, that's fine. Um, but we'll pray for the men for a few minutes. We'll pray for then uh, to switch over to the message to be clear for a few minutes and then on to the multiplication. But before we, we group up, I just want to bring one thing to your attention. I brought up one of my heroes, Charles Spurgeon. He had a visitor to the church once, and I don't recall who it was, but he had a visitor, and it was, um, I believe, very early on a Sunday morning, and and I guess he was giving this person a, a tour. And the person asked Spurgeon, how is it that your ministry has been so successful? How is it that that The Lord has blessed the preached word here that so many people have gotten saved. In in Spurgeon's ministry, he records approximately 11,000 people coming to faith in Christ. And the question was asked, how do you do that? And so Charles Spurgeon took him to a, a room. Some think it was a basement. Some think it was a different room. And he opened the door just a little bit to see hundreds of people begging God for the church to be used for the glory of Christ and begging in prayer. Spurgeon understood that his genius, his preaching, his explanation of the Word of God was powerless without prayer and without the Spirit. This is what Paul asks. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the Word. And that's what I'm asking us to pray tonight, that God opens a door for the Word, pray for the men, and then we'll switch over to praying for the message And then we'll switch over to praying for multiplication.